Eddie Mayer on LBC. It's Friday. It's a quarter to five. It's Simon Marx's American Week. Eddie, President Biden, as you know, is the man who says the United States is going to win the battle for the 21st century with China. And when the history of this American week is written, it is likely not to focus on the febrile insanity gripping the Republican Party, nor the woes of Vice President Kamala Harris. We will get to both of those later. But the big event of this week took place on Monday night in Washington, Tuesday morning in Beijing. Good to see you, Mr. President. Next time, I hope we get to do it face-to-face like we used to when we travel through China. President Biden and President Xi Jinping held their first face-to-face summit meeting, albeit virtually. The president there reminding his Chinese counterpart and the rest of us that he claims to have spent more time with Xi Jinping over the years than any other foreign leader. And President Biden's message at the meeting that action needs to be taken now to prevent any risk of conflict between the world's two largest economies. It seems to me our responsibility as leaders of China and the United States is to ensure that the competition between our countries does not veer into conflict, whether intended or unintended. Just simple, straightforward competition. And it seems to me we need to establish some common sense guardrails to be clear and honest where we disagree and work together where our interests intersect especially on vital global issues like climate change. From President Xi during that brief portion of the nearly four-hour meeting that was open to the media, there was no disagreement. Right now, both China and the United States are at critical stages of development. And humanity lives in a global village, and we face multiple challenges together. As the world's two largest economies and the permanent members of the UN Security Council, China and the United States need to increase communication and cooperation. So far, so good. But when the cameras were escorted from the room, the two men got down to business. And inevitably, the tensions and strains between Washington and Beijing that have worsened over the last five years could not be resolved in a single conversation. On Taiwan, the Chinese issued a clear warning to President Biden saying the Americans are playing with fire if they stoke and back calls for the island's independence. The American leader shot back over human rights, the rollback of democracy, particularly in Hong Kong, China's expanding nuclear arsenal, and the complexities of the bilateral trading relationship. After it was over, a top Biden administration official told reporters, we were not expecting a breakthrough. There were none to report. There were sections last night that were incredibly direct, candid and straightforward. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was in the room where it happened. There was nothing about um, the session that led either side to um, to try to cut corners in terms of being direct with one another about where we disagree. So I think that gives you a good sense of, of um, kind of what the atmosphere is like in the room. Now, the White House and the Chinese had spent days managing expectations. We knew there would be no joint statement issued by the two governments, highlighting areas of progress and agreement, and indeed, there wasn't one. But amid the gloom, there were some signs of daylight. The Americans saying they're taking another look at trade. Some saw that as an indication Trump-era tariffs on some Chinese products may soon be alleviated. The Chinese appear to have agreed to some kind of conversation 
on arms control. Apposite timing, given their recent test of a nuclear-capable hypersonic weapon that has concentrated minds in the Pentagon. And there was an agreement on the issuing of visas to journalists, which has become a very thorny bilateral issue over the last two years. But even Mr. Sullivan, who observed the whole thing, found it difficult to convey exactly what action is going to be taken to head off the risk of conflict. Ensuring peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait, having clear communication, avoiding miscommunication is going to be an important and intensive aspect of work between our militaries, between our national security councils, uh, and between our diplomats. And so you will see um, at multiple levels an intensification of, of the engagement uh, to ensure that there are guardrails around um, uh, this competition so that it doesn't veer off into conflict. An intensification of engagement is apparently going to do the trick. The president spoke loosely during the week about four working groups that are being created between the two countries. They will have no shortage of difficult work ahead. And that became clear less than 48 hours after Presidents Biden and Xi ended their Zoom session. The Chinese Communist Party's ambitions for global leadership became ever clearer in this, the CCP centennial year. Carolyn Bartholomew, she heads a U.S. government-funded commission that provides an annual report to Congress on economic and security relations with China. And this year's report, released this week, is unsparing in its criticism of Beijing. The Chinese government deepened its embrace of aggression, wolf warrior behavior, and coercion, heightening concerns throughout the Indo-Pacific and elsewhere in the world about China's rise. The commission drove an articulated truck through all that White House talk about trying to avoid conflict over Taiwan, concluding that China is already at or near the capacity to invade the island. Jim Tallent, once a Republican congressman, now a member of the bipartisan commission, detailed what the panel wants lawmakers to do about it. We had two recommendations. One of them relates to making it easier for Taiwan to buy military equipment for their own defense. And then the main recommendation, which is getting more precision munition into theater and more anti-ship crews and ballistic missiles, hardening our bases so that they're more survivable. In, in other words, to strengthen short-term military deterrence uh, in China's near seas. In other words, to engage in a hell-for-leather confrontation, guardrails be damned. On Capitol Hill, where that report is being delivered, Republicans in Congress are already engaged in stoking confrontation with China over another issue, the Beijing Winter Olympics, now just three months away. President Biden said this week he is considering the possibility of a diplomatic boycott of the Games. That that would mean no U.S. government official would attend to cheer on the American team. But Republicans like Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas are upping the ante even before that decision has been formally announced. We should launch a complete and total boycott of China's Genocide Olympics. I regret that this would prevent about 300 of America's world-class athletes from competing in the Olympics. I sympathize with them. However, they have been failed by this administration who months ago, months ago, could have worked with our allies 
to develop a plan to conduct these games in another country. Uncertain times ahead then for America's Winter Olympic athletes. Senator Cotton was at least engaged there in a good faith back and forth with the White House, a real difference of opinion over policy. But several of his Republican colleagues this week spent their time bathing once again in the fountains of crazy. For the last fortnight, the House of Representatives has been up in arms over an anime video released by Republican Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona. What can I tell you? He apparently likes anime. The video depicts the congressman killing left-wing Democrat lawmaker Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and then launching an attack against President Biden with swords. The FBI has arrested many people for far less. Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, was having none of it. As a, a violence against women, workplace harassment, this Thank is you. outrageous and outrageous on the part of the Republican leadership not to act upon this. And so she mounted a vote of censure against the congressman that this week stripped him of his committee memberships in the House of Representatives. It was jaw-dropping to watch Republicans backing him. And remember, they're talking here about a man whose video depicts the animated murder of a Democrat congresswoman and an attempt on the president's life. Madam Speaker, America is being crushed under the oppressive weight of the Democrats' greed for lust and power. Republican Clay Higgins of South Louisiana. They want totalitarian control over every aspect of American life, and they're ruling the people's house as if they were royalty. And then there was our old friend, Congressman Louis Gomert, the village idiot from Texas. I looked at the video enemy and was trying to figure out I, I couldn't see i'm told if you stop it frame by frame you can see what uh, democrat friends are talking about but i didn't see the violence being talked about we should not condone violence but let's stop him right there before he goes on to condone violence. Over in the U.S. Senate, supposedly the more responsible of the two chambers, there was something equally egregious underway. I came to the United States in 1991 with one suitcase and a $50 bill in my pocket. I fell in love with this country and its people from day one. That is Sala Omarofa, President Biden's pick to be comptroller of the currency, basically the top government official regulating the banking industry. She was born in Kazakhstan when it was part of the Soviet Union. And this week, her confirmation hearing was underway in the Senate, where Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana decided to take us all the way back to the communist baiting of the McCarthy era. You used to be a member of a group called the Young Communist, didn't you? I'm not exactly sure which group you're referring to. Well, the formal name of it is Komsomol of the Russian Federation, and it's commonly referred to as the Young Communists. Were you a member? Senator, I was born and grew up in the Soviet Union. Yes, ma'am. But were you a member of that organization? Everybody in that country was a member of the Komsomol, which was the communist youth organization. Because so, so you that were, was you were a member. That was a part of normal progress in school. Um, did you have you resigned from the youth? from the young communists? You grow out of it with age. 
I don't mean any disrespect. I, I don't know whether to call you professor or comrade. Senator, I'm not a communist. I do not subscribe to that ideology. I could not choose where I was born. Neither, of course, could Senator Kennedy, but I guess that's what Louisiana does to a guy. The shame of all this is that there are all sorts of issues in her background worth asking about. Her antipathy towards Wall Street, her view that people shouldn't be allowed their own private bank accounts, her claim that large banks should be forced to have a government representative on their boards. Heck, there's even a shoplifting incident several years ago. But instead, we got the are you or have you ever been a communist routine? And of course, next November, if the polls are right, we'll get lots more of that when the Republicans recapture control of both houses of Congress. For a brief moment today, Vice President Kamala Harris made history, becoming the first woman ever to assume the duties of the presidency while the actual president was under anaesthetic this morning having a routine colonoscopy. That will have been the only bright spot in the vice president's week. We're getting things done and we're doing it together. So you don't feel misused or underused? No. But that is not what friends of the vice president are telling reporters like ABC's George Stephanopoulos. I don't. I am very, very excited about the work that we have accomplished, but I am also absolutely, absolutely clear-eyed that there is a lot more to do and we're going to get it done. Unfortunately for her, the public is also clear-eyed about the job she's doing. Her approval is now lower than Joe Biden's. Just 28% of Americans are giving her the thumbs up. The all-time lowest approval rating ever recorded for any vice president. She reportedly dislikes the tasks the president has set her. Many of them are intractable. The immigration crisis, voting rights, even last week being schlepped to Paris to try and soothe the the ruffled French feathers of President Macron. On ABC, they asked her about those disapproval numbers. Polls, they go up, they go down. But I think what is most important is that we remain consistent with what we need to do to deal with the issues that we're presented with at this moment. The issue she immediately needs to deal with, hiring a new director of communications after the current one announced she's leaving and stemming deep dissatisfaction among her staff amid reports that figures close to President Biden are looking at other potential running mates for 2024. It is an unhappy ship, this one, on both sides of the political aisle. And, Eddie, the various possibilities and permutations for the weeks and months ahead mean that we are sailing into an ocean of uncertainty. Simon Marx's American Week, back in two weeks' time. This is LBC. I'm Eddie Marr. Mayor.